Today we're going to talk about a struggle that Paul had. Okay, the Corinthian church, I know that, that if you ever mentioned the Corinthian church to Paul, he'd probably be like, he'd probably chuck a little bit. Um, Paul had much love for the Corinthian church, um, but the Corinthian church had a lot of things they needed to work through. Let's say it that way. If you read through 1 Corinthians, um, there's a lot of stuff that Paul needs to deal with. And in 2 Corinthians, even who he is, Paul, um, is being called into question um, by some false teachers that have tried to make their way into the Corinthian church. And so today we're going to be looking at a part of 2 Corinthians where Paul sort of defends himself. Okay, we think about the Apostle Paul, you know, one of the major writers in the New Testament. You think if anyone um, wouldn't need to defend themselves, it'd be Paul. He could just be like, look, I wrote almost half the New Testament. But even Paul was questioned. Even Paul needed to defend um, his ministry, his message, um, and even his status um, as a believer who had been sent out to preach the good news. So, I want us to look at Paul's defense because I think that it has a lot to say about our own identity in Christ, what our mission is as Christians, and also um, has a lot of, to say about our confidence in our futures. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and the first thing we're going to see in the first six verses of chapter 4 is that we have confidence in our mission. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain a little bit what I mean by that, uh, but let me read that section first. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So like I said, the first part of this chapter gets at the confidence we have in our mission. Well, first of all, I want us to see that this mission we have is through God's mercy. Okay? Notice right there. Therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this mission. So we're going to get to what the mission is in a second. But whatever it is, it's because of God's mercy that we are allowed to engage in this mission. Okay? God doesn't need us, but because he loves us, he allows us to be a part of his work in his world. Okay, and notice the word mercy. I mean, it's, we don't deserve to be a part of his mission. Okay, but because he loves us, because he does not leave us where we are, 
he allows us to be his workers in his world. And what is that mission? Part of it we'll see a little more clearly but later on. But it, what it is, is it's us spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to a dying world. This is the ministry. This is the service. This is the mission that we have, first and foremost. And because God is gracious to us, he allows us to be a part of that. So we can have confidence because it's really God's mission that he uses us to accomplish. We can have confidence that we're doing the right thing because it is the God of the universe's mission. It's not our idea. It's not like we had a meeting, you know, like, you know what we should do? Maybe we should tell people about Jesus. Take a congregational vote, maybe change some bylaws. Um, but as long as we get the notes out at least 10 days beforehand. No, th- they didn't do this, okay? <laughs> Thank you for all who liked that. Um, but what it is, is it's God's mission that's been given to us out of his mercy, out of his love for us. And so we can have confidence that it's the right thing because it's not just what we came up with at a meeting. Next, we can have confidence when we don't use manipulation. Paul has to defend his work here. And he says, look, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Look, we don't need to trick people into believing in Jesus. Okay? And we can have confidence when our conscience is clear before God. And we can say, look, all that I've done is said plainly, this is the message of the gospel. And we renounce trickery. We don't promise people things that won't come true. We, won't, we don't promise that if you're Christian, you'll win the next lottery or that you will never be fired from a job or that you will never lose a family member. We don't promise that. And we can have confidence in our mission when we know, when our heart is pure before God, that we don't need to use deception. We don't need to trick people into believing in Jesus. But when we speak it plainly, When we say, this is our message, Jesus died for you, then we can have true confidence in what we believe. We can also have confidence in our mission because even if people don't believe us, even if we don't fully accomplish our mission, it doesn't mean that we're wrong. Look at verses um, 3 three through four here. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what it's saying there is that even if you tell someone plainly, you don't deceive them, you don't use trickery, even if you spell out to them plainly the good news of Jesus Christ, they may not say, oh, you're right, okay? They may not be, oh, of course. Why didn't I think of that earlier? No, even if they reject your message, it doesn't make the message wrong. And, and 
and, and we need to talk about what this says here. Um, it is a little tricky. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now, the big idea is that since they've been blinded, they can't see. So it's not anything wrong with the message. Now, as to what it means that the God of this age, referring to Satan, has blinded them, um, in some sense, Satan has, I don't want to say this, Satan has kept them from hearing the message. Now, with that being said, I look in the Gospels and I see Jesus healing physical blindness. And I think that we can pray that God would work a miracle and open the eyes of people who are spiritually blind. I will also say that we don't know who has been blinded. Okay? We don't know that a person will never accept or if it just takes a little more time. And so I want us to be careful as how we think about this because I think, one, when people do reject our message, we need to pray that God will open their eyes so that it is a momentary rejection and not the rejection of a lifetime because we just, we don't know. We're not God. We don't know if 5, 10, 20 years down the road, it'll finally click in someone's mind and God will open up their eyes to receive Christ's message. But the big idea that Paul is focusing on here is that when we are rejected, it doesn't mean that we are wrong in what we are saying. Next, we can have confidence in our mission because we are not preaching ourselves. We're not telling people to come and believe in Jim, okay? Or whoever you are. You don't have to call yourself Jim now. But we don't preach ourselves. But what do we preach? We preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, what we believe about Jesus, that he is the eternal God who became a human and died on the cross for our sins, rose again and ascended to heaven, that is something to believe in. I am not something to believe in. You are not something to believe in in the same way that Jesus is. And because he is God, he is trustworthy. And what do we preach? Jesus Christ as Lord. That God came down, became Jesus in his humanly form. That he is the Christ, the promised person of the Old Testament. And that he's Lord, that he is king over all things. That's our message. Jesus Christ as Lord. And that as the Christ, he died on our behalf took on our sin, and now rules for eternity. And how do, we, how do we, in a sense, preach ourselves? We preach Jesus Christ as Lord, and what does it say about us? And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We preach ourselves, in a sense, as, as humble servants of other people. We can have confidence because we focus people on the living God and we preach ourselves as the servants of everyone else. We can have confidence 
because we know that the mission we have is not just about making ourselves more important. It's not just about getting ourselves more respect or more things that if people really like us, they'll give us more money. I don't, whatever, okay? But because the way that we talk about ourselves to others when we're on this mission as, as, as their servants, we can have confidence because it's not all about us. And also, as a part of, of not preaching ourselves, we shine the light of the truth, the creator's truth. No, for, look at verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, a quote from creation, made his, image, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So we have the creator's truth, the God who created all things. That's why it's quoting from Genesis 1. It's to remind us that God is the God who created all things. And just as he spoke physical light into existence, he gives us his light, his truth, to shine out, to reflect his glory out into the world. And again, we can have confidence because our message comes from the God of the universe, the God who created all things. And notice that it's described, the good news is described in this way, the knowledge of the glory of God, so the knowledge of God in the face of Christ, in the person of Christ. That through Christ, we understand more fully who God is and what he's done for us. Next, I want us to see that we have confidence in God's power. So not only do we have confidence in our mission, but we have confidence in God's power. Let me read verses 7 through 15 here. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. First thing I want to see is how Paul describes us, people. Jars of clay. Okay, now, unless you really like clay and really like jars, this might not be the best way to feel about yourself, but... You might not think that way, but what is it saying? Jars of clay are 
somewhat brittle, okay? I wouldn't suggest standing on a clay pot. Um, You might fall. Um, And they're inexpensive. Now, why are we called jars of clay? Because compared to the glory of God, that is what we are. God has been since eternity and will be into eternity. We don't live that long. We're not eternal like he is. Okay? We will be in heaven with him forever, but we had a starting point and he did not. Okay? Our bodies run down. Age creeps in and we move a little slower. Things don't work right sometimes. Okay, God never needs a tune-up. Okay? God is always the all-powerful God that he is. But why is it a good thing that Paul calls us jars of clay? Because, because we are, because we have weaknesses, because we are limited in our power, it shows that when we speak the gospel, that that power that is the gospel, it shows that it's not about us, that it's from God. That our weaknesses show that it's not about how great I am or about how great you are. But even our weaknesses point people to God. What the opponents of Paul, these guys who are calling into question Paul, were probably saying that, well, Paul, if you really had power from God, then you wouldn't have bad things happen to you. You wouldn't have trouble raising support. All things we know happened to Paul. He was shipwrecked. Um, he, was, he got sick. He had to ask people to support him being a missionary and did not always have. He says, there were times where I had a lot and there was a times I had a little. Okay? But because of that, Paul has to say, look, my weakness, the troubles I've had in my life, the circumstances I've had to get through actually show you about the power that God has. Look at verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. So, because we go through hard times, because we have terrible circumstances that happen to us, but they never fully win. They never fully conquer us. And that shows the power of God in our lives. That yes, bad things happen. Yes, hard times come. But we are always sustained by God's power. And that shows how powerful he is. That there is no circumstance on earth that is greater than God. We survive because of the power of Jesus. Look at verse 10 there. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. So the hard times we go through, he compares to how Jesus died. 
And the thing about Jesus' death was that even though he was killed, he had victory through being killed. It's one of the great paradoxes of the Bible, that by, in a sense, losing, Jesus won. So even when we, in a sense, lose, when we lose our jobs, or we lose a family member, or we lose our house, whatever, even when we lose, we still win. And that shows the power of God. Because whereas our sufferings mimic Jesus' death, that we're still here, that we still survive, that we're still with hope, mimics the resurrection. That Jesus did not stay dead. That he rose victorious in power. That he ascended to the right hand of God in power. And so while our sufferings are related to his death, that we are still alive shows us the resurrection power of Christ. And that in verse 11 there, for we are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So even our hard times have a point. That Jesus has a plan even for the hard times of life. And, and, and I think that that can help us and give us hope and maintain our hope because we know that when we do go through hard times, not that we should look for hard times, but when we do go through hard times, there's a point. God has a reason that this is happening. We might not always understand it, but that has given me hope personally that I know at least that there is a reason. It's not just some absurd, random universe and God doesn't have a plan for me. And so when we do go through hard times, it's for Jesus' sake. It's for his plan. It's so that his glory can be revealed to more and more people. And I think that's amazing that God not only uses our strengths, but he also uses our weaknesses. And that shows more and more of his greatness. I also want us to see there, um, excuse me, Verse 12, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Sometimes we suffer to help others. Paul's saying, look, I've been through so much. In, in other letters and in other places, Paul actually lists what has happened to him, and he's been through a lot, okay? But sometimes the point is that we go through hard times so that we can minister to others when they go through hard times. So it's for Jesus' sake, but it's also for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Next, I want us to see that we can have confidence in God's power, and that power allows us to speak. I want to unpack what that means. Look at verses 13 to 15. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Okay, so he's saying because of our faith, because of our belief, we speak. And then look at verse 14, because. Okay, here's the why. Why do we speak? How is this related? Because we know that the one 
who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Because we serve the God who raised Jesus from the dead, who defeated death, we can have confidence to speak. Because that is the God that we're talking about. We can have confidence when we talk to someone and maybe we get embarrassed or maybe we're afraid of them. But because we have the God who not even death can defeat, we can speak boldly. We can spread the word of Christ because the God, not only the God who created and spoke light into existence, but the God who defeated the last enemy, death, is behind us. Because that is the God we serve. We can have confidence and we can speak boldly no matter who it is. Next, we can have confidence in God's power that God has a plan to reach people. Look at verse 15. All this for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. God has a plan to reach people with his good news. And that because he is the God who raised Jesus from the dead, that plan will happen. He will reach to the ends of the earth with his message. And we need to decide every day to be involved with his mission to do that. Because he is the God who created us. He is the God who saved us. Because he is God, we need to be involved in his mission. And his mission involves preaching the good news to more and more and more and more people. Next, I want us to see that we have confidence in our future. Verses 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We can have confidence, no matter what the circumstances are now, but we can have confidence in our future. One, we see that God renews us day by day. That God is not stingy with his grace. That every day when we feel like it's just another day and another day, that God will renew our spirits day by day so that we can go on and persevere through the hard times and through the struggles. That we're confident that God will do this. He has promised us this. And we need to have confidence that he will do so. That even though outwardly 
in our physical bodies, we feel more run down as the days go on days, go on days. But yet inwardly, God renews our spirit to keep us going. I don't know if you've felt that, but it just seems that when we are in the hard times, that you're, that it does affect you physically, that you're tired, that you don't look forward to another day, that you dread, you can even dread getting out of bed in the morning, but we have the promise from God that every day he will renew our spirits and he will be with us through those hard times. Next reason that we can have confidence in our future is basically that heaven is amazing. Okay, here's, here's how I want to show you that. Look at verse 17 there. Um, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Again, I've, I've, I've talked a little bit about how much Paul went through, okay? Um, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he got so sick that he thought he was going to die. Okay, Paul went through a lot, okay? Maybe, maybe more than, than, than most of us. Um, I can't speak to that. But, but even then, he can say that those troubles are light and momentary compared to the eternal glory of heaven. That our future that God has promised for those who believe in him is so great that if we were to look back that we went through during this life, it would seem light and momentary. And look how he compares what, what, how he uh, describes the eternal glory there. An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's the same word that he uses in verse 7, where it says, the all-surpassing power. Okay, and that was talking about the power of God. And how compared to the power of God, we are like clay pots. So, same word. And so... This life compared to heaven is like comparing us to God. Do you see how he did that? Okay. So just as God is so much greater than us, heaven is that much greater than this world. And that gives us hope. It shows us that there, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is the promise of eternal reward and eternal happiness with God forever. That, because God uses the circumstances and the hard times that we go through to reach more people, to help them be reunited with Christ, and therefore also experience the glory of heaven. Because our suffering is used to help other people reach this unspeakable, speakable, wonderful glory, Our suffering is worth the trade. That because we know we will experience so much and that even our bad times were used to help other people experience the glory of God. It makes what we go through now worth it. 
Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Heaven lasts forever. It's eternal. And that's the best stuff. So while we may go through hard times, we know that we will have wonderful, glorious communion with God and with one another for eternity. And comparatively, it helps us see that what is seen is temporary. That what we go through now will come to an end. That there's a limit on the hard times that come into our lives. There's a time when it'll stop. But there is never a time when being in heaven with God face-to-face will ever end. Some thoughts as we close. First one is, is be confident. Be confident in who you are in Christ and what your mission is and what your message is. Speak boldly. Don't be afraid of other people or of your circumstances because God is the God of the universe and we have his mission and his message. Connect with that is be confident even in your weaknesses and even in your hard times. Knowing that God has a plan for us clay pots. That God has a use for us. That God even has a use for our suffering. To bring glory to him and to bring other people into the eternal glory of heaven. When you suffer, God is still working. God is still there. And there is a point. Also, you may suffer to help someone else. In, in the counseling uh, that I get to do um, on occasion, it's very helpful for me to have gone through, if not the same thing, similar things. And it helps me to better understand what that person is going through. It helps me be kinder more sympathetic. And sometimes we go through hard times because we will meet someone five or ten years down the road or whatever who will be going through the same thing we did. God gives us experiences sometimes so that we can serve others and give them comfort and help them through the experience. Your hard times may be serving someone else later. I also want us to focus on verse 5 there. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as slaves for Jesus' sake. There's a whole lot in this verse there. One, when we preach the gospel, it's not about making ourselves look more important or about us boasting about who we are. Okay, it's about us, in a sense, boasting about who Jesus is 
and that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the Lord of all creation. So know the message. What does it mean when we talk about Jesus Christ as Lord? That's a way that Paul uses that summary. We need to have similar summaries in our minds so that we can explain to people what the good news is. A lot of times uh, I've seen, if you ask good questions, people are able to articulate what the gospel is. But if you just ask them, what is the good news of Jesus? It's not that they don't know it. Just sometimes it's hard to explain. And we need to be thinking ahead of time, how would I explain this message to someone who asked? Maybe they didn't ask and you just thought it was a good time to ask them what they thought. But we need to be prepared. We need to be able to not only believe what we believe, but to articulate what we believe. And secondly, with that is, is knowing where we fit in the mission. The mission's not about us. And as a part of this mission, we proclaim ourselves to be servants serving Jesus and in that way serving others. And there's a great humility that comes through viewing yourself as someone else's servant. And that the gospel is not just about you and God, but it's also about you serving others and in that way proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. This mission is bigger than just who we are. Lastly, our world has God at the center, not us. If you go back through here, you, you would notice the repetition of the glory of God and the glory of Christ. Glory, 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 glory. And one of our number one rules of reading our Bible is that when there's repetition, it means it's important. Okay? And at the center of our mission, at the center of our lives, is the glory of God. That our world is not me-centered. Our world is God-centered. And that we exist to bring glory to God. That everything we do is for God's glory. That everything we do is to worship Him. And as every week, every day, we refocus our lives to put God at the center and to keep ourselves out of the center. Because our mission and our lives are ultimately about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us.